Thanks for coming. Thanks for singing with us. Thanks for, thanks for honoring Jesus with community, right? That's what this is all about. You know, every Christmas Eve, when I, since I was young, every, uh, right after dinner, every, every year, myself, my sister, my parents, we would go into the living room. We would sit down right after dinner and before presents, okay? After dinner, before presents. We'd go into the living room, we'd sit down, we'd gather around, uh, and myself or my sister, we'd, we'd alternate each year. We'd take out our Bible, and uh, as a family, we would read through the nativity story, the Christmas story, right? And I, I remember those times, you know, that's kind of what Christmas is about. It, it, we did that as kind of a central act in our Christmas celebrations. You know, we were, we were one of the weirdo families that opened presents on Christmas Eve, like right after dinner, right? But so I was, I was always so excited about opening gifts, but I remember, even, even when I was young, I remember that I, I actually really enjoyed those times where we just became quiet and, uh, and we allowed the, the real meaning for Christmas that, and that, that story of Christ coming into the world to just come into kind of all of our senses. You know, sometimes we would close our eyes and just let us hear the story and really reflect on it and let the images come to mind. And, and I thought, you know, I, I really want to share that tradition with you guys. I really want... I really want all of us to be able to participate in that, that kind of tradition. So here this evening, before presents, right? Before all of us go off and do our own Christmas celebrations and, and all that good stuff, um, I wanted to just take a moment. I wanted to read the, uh, the Christmas story, the nativity story to us. Now, the version I've got here, it's straight Bible, but, uh, but I've actually taken all of the perspectives from the Gospels and kind of compiled them into one cohesive story. So we can kind of get a broader picture and a bigger, a bigger understanding of, of what really was going on that evening, 2,000 years ago, right? So I'm, I'm going to invite you guys to do what we did. You know, you're welcome to kind of lean back, quiet yourselves. If you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to. If that helps you kind of receive the images and see what's going on, you're more than welcome to do that. And I'm just going to read here for a moment the nativity story, the Christmas story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Come on. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has even conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, which with her 
who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went out to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, Jesus, the, the baby was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests, scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. 
After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went out before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. (laughs) It's a precious gift. And thus the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, I was, as I was preparing for this, this evening, I was sitting down and I was about to reread that story. And I just, I asked God, God, would you illuminate this afresh to me? Would you speak in a fresh manner through this story to me? Because I know, you know, we're so familiar, many of us at least, are so familiar with these stories. You know, this, this we see it presented by the children's ministry or whatever every year. You know, we, we read it in our families. We have traditions like my family did growing up. And, and oftentimes when we, when we have those kind of spiritual practices that become traditions, it's easy to, to kind of lose sight of what's most important in it. Or, or maybe not so much that, but rather it, it's, it's easy to kind of think that we know it. Think that we get it. Think that it's become part of us just because maybe we've heard it so often. But as, as I was reading, I just felt the Lord saying, uh, just speaking to my heart, just anew, afresh, with, with revelation of who he is. And it was, it was lighting me up. I mean, it was, it was setting me on fire. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this is so good, God. And I know that that same reality is for us tonight. Now, I'm only going to be talking here for like, I don't know, eight more minutes or something, right? And I think, though, even in that short amount of time, I have this, I have this sense that God really does want to deposit something in each of us today through this story that, that, is, that is fresh, that is new, that's invigorating. You know, grace means, grace is divine empowerment of God. And when he releases grace, we feel that divine empowerment come into our spirits. So if you would humor me tonight, just for a moment, if you just put your hands out in front of you like you're going to get a Christmas gift. You know, just, okay, there's Jesus right in front of you. He's got a big smile on his face. He's got a Christmas present for you. And, uh, and I just, I'm just going to pray for us briefly, and then I'm just going to share briefly, and we all get to go celebrate Christmas in our own way after that. So Father God, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would release grace gifts this evening, just in the next few moments, that revelation would actually come into our minds, would transform our, our souls, our emotions, our mind, our will, and emotions. God, that it would be transformed to conform into your likeness, to conform into your image. God, that you would show us your goodness and reveal who you are and your glory through this story afresh tonight. That we would go from here with spiritual divine empowerment in the name of Jesus. And anyone who agreed and received that said amen. 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 Now, we oftentimes, we look at 
this story, and we, we always in the church, we kind of point to this and say, you know, the birth of Christ is this great example of God's humility. And I mean, it certainly is. Here's God, and he goes, okay, I'm going to save the world, so I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to be coming, I'm going to become incarnate in the likeness of man, one of my creations, and, and I'm not even going to expect any fanfare. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be totally okay arriving in the poopy stable, you know, being placed in a manger. That's fine. God of the universe, right? God of the universe empties himself, becomes incarnate in the likeness of man, and he doesn't expect fanfare. But here's the reality. There is so much more depth there than I think we've realized. Yes, God is humble, but this is actually a statement that God is making that is in, frankly, stark contrast to the cultural beliefs about God at the time. You see, the Jews, if you look kind of through the Old Testament, you realize that they began to come to this belief about God that God was most glorified, most honored when... um, when, when, when there was some kind of awe-inspiring display at hand. That's when God was most glorified, right? With, with wealth and riches or with great acts of power. That's how God is most glorified, and that's who God is. And you see the Jews kind of come to this throughout the Old Testament, just kind of make this, make this assumption. You know, in, in King David, he was a man after God's own heart, yes, but... There's this moment where King David is looking around at his life, his extravagant lifestyle. He was wealthy beyond belief, right? His extravagant lifestyle. And he looks around probably at some of the neighboring nations and how they worship their gods. And he goes, hmm, we have all this wealth and different things in Israel, and our God's sitting in a tent. At this time, it was the tabernacle form of worship. The tent uh, is how actually people came to encounter God and worship God he goes well God's hanging out in a tent and we got all this awesome stuff like God clearly wants to be more glorious than that so he proposes this idea you know hey God I'm going to build you a house I'm going to build you a temple and it's going to be filled with all kinds of awesomeness right all all kinds of awe-inspiring things are going to fill this house because I know that's how you want to be glorified. And it's interesting because, yeah, you know, we know the story. God, of course, lets him build the temple. His son Solomon does, actually. Um, and and we, know, we know that story. But God's almost a little reluctant in the story. Almost as if he's saying, you know, I'm fine, actually, in the tent. It's no big deal. You know, but David, if, if that's really how you want to worship me, if that's really how you want to glorify me, go ahead. But he's almost reluctant in the story to, to receive this grand, awe-inspiring thing. And now here's God coming in the form of a baby, the most humble form, taking on the likeness of man, a humble creature that he made. And, and God has his say exactly how he's going to come into this world. I mean, don't you think? God God has his say exactly how he's going to come into this world. And what does he choose? He chooses to come into this world under the most scandalous of circumstances. Okay, nobody believed Mary was a virgin. 
I mean, can you imagine your friend? Like, you have a, you have a friend, you know, and they're, they're engaged or they're going to be married or whatever, and, uh, and she's pregnant. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Honestly, it was just the Holy Spirit came upon me and now I have a child. Nobody believed that. Are you joking me? You know, at best, they thought she was a fornicator with Joseph. And at absolute worst, they probably thought she was a prostitute, a harlot, what have you. This is a scandalous circumstance. And on top of that, Joseph and Mary are nobodies. They're relatively nobody. How do you know this? Because Jesus grew up as a carpenter. He probably took on his dad's trade. I mean, he was just an average Joe. Yeah, he was of the house and lineage of David, but you know how many people could have claimed that ancestry at this time? He was, a, he was a relative nobody. So here's Jesus coming into the world, God coming into the world in a, in a family of nobodies under scandalous circumstances. We know the stable story, right? Amongst all the poop and animals and everything in the stable. And I don't know about you, but if you ever have organic moist matter sitting on wood, talking about the trough, talking about the manger, Okay, every organic moist matter sitting on wood for extended periods of time, I don't care how much they scrub that, that thing stinks. That, that trough, that feeding trough, the manger, that thing smells. But here's Jesus, here's God, totally okay with it, right? Then, then who becomes his trumpeters? Who becomes his heralds announcing that the Savior is coming to the world? couple blue-collar workers from the field. The shepherds. Shepherds are nobodies. This, isn't, this, is, this is borderline a caste system, okay, in, in Israel right now. The priests are wealthy. They have all the influence. They have all the political power. Shepherds are nobodies. They're just out in the field. They're blue-collar workers doing their day job, and all of a sudden an angel appears to them. Doesn't go to the higher-ups. Doesn't go to the theologically educated people, doesn't go to the, to the political rulers, doesn't even go to the king. He appears to some blue-collar folk. He says, okay, you're going to be my herald. You're going to be my trumpeters that tell everyone and go find this child and, and announce he's the Savior that's come. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Now you might be thinking, well, what about the three kings, right? What about the three kings? Okay, we have that song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, right? Okay, they weren't kings, though. They, the Bible calls them wise men from the east. Okay, they were most likely from, um, they were most likely from Persia or Babylon. Those are the most likely places. There actually may have been a mix there. Which means that they would have been magi or practitioners of magic. So who are the first people that worship Jesus, God incarnate, come into, the, come into the world? First people to worship him. Pagan wizards. Pagan wizards. They don't, they don't worship Yahweh. They don't worship the God of, of Israel. They're, they're from Babylon or Persia. They're, they're magi, practitioners of magic. And God goes, okay, they'll be the ones that bow down before me. Awesome. He doesn't even bring Jews into the situation. These are Gentiles. The first worshipers of Jesus are Gentiles. 
You guys, this goes way beyond just humility. Oh, God is so humble. God is making a statement here. He is saying, look, when I have all my preferences and I get to choose exactly when and where I come into the world, I choose to come in meekness. Because meekness is how I am most glorified. It doesn't mean God is never glorified by great displays or, or you know, even with our wealth or, or whatever. Or, or he's never glorified in powerful displays. Like, of course, there are elements of that in God, and we see that throughout the Scriptures. But he's going, look, I am most glorified when I come in meekness. When meekness is what demonstra- what's demonstrated. What's meekness? It's when we are, if we are to practice meekness, what does that look like? It's when we are, we're quiet. We're unassuming. We're yielding. He doesn't, God doesn't come and demand fanfare. He doesn't come and demand, oh no, I'm not going to be in the stable. I'm going to, give me the greatest palace on, you know, this is God we're talking about. He's yielding, trusting not trying to control situations to get his way, but trusting the Father that the Father's going to take care of him. That, that all is right and all is supposed to be. Humble, humility, meekness. This is how God is most glorified. This is really what Christmas is about. Jesus coming to the world and declaring to the world, I am a meek God. Yes, I've demonstrated myself in strength and power. Yes, I've demonstrated myself by blessing you with wealth and riches that you've glorified me with. Sure, but at the end of the day, my, one of my greatest character attributes, that, that one of the ones that I am most, one of, one, of the, one of the most attributes that are most truly me is meekness. So what does this mean for us? I'm going to bring it down here. You know, I'm sorry, you guys. This is church. I'm a pastor. I go over, it's, that's just how it is, okay? We started a little late, so technically I'm only two minutes over. <laughs> what, is, what does that look like, though? I mean, if we, if we actually take this story, let that sink into our hearts, and then we go, okay, God, then what does that mean for me? What if we started practicing meekness? You know, what if we started... What if we started to no longer pursue the world's definition of success, right? Which is like, let me get my way. Let me get as much power as I can. Let me get as much wealth and and influence as I can, right? You know, sometimes we even like spiritualize these things. I'm going to pursue the world's success, but it's all for the glory of God. Like, I want to become a super, super, super multimillionaire, great, amazing businessman, but, but I mean, it's all because of the glory of God. Like, I want to just give it back to him, right? Like, we try to spiritualize ambition. <laughs> Sugarcoat it. What if, what if we stopped running after recognition? Running after recognition. Meekness. Jesus was okay with the only people who knew about him were some pagan wizards and some blue-collar workers and the, the, the animal that just pooped two feet away from him. Okay, these are the only people that know about him. He's okay with it. What, what, if, what if we stop pursuing recognition or, or even, again, spiritualizing it and calling it, well, I'm just, I just want more influence so that I can be an influencer for the kingdom? 
influencer for the kingdom of God, right? What if, what if we stopped cloaking control, our need to control, in the guise of godly power and authority? Jesus isn't trying to dominate the world. Jesus isn't trying to control society. Jesus is meek. He calls us to be meek. Why? Because then we represent him truthfully. He calls us to be meek. Why? Because then we glorify him by, I mean, when my daughter Annabelle, you know, my son is, this is his first Christmas, as Sarah said. It's exciting, but he's still a little young yet. We're not quite seeing all the personality that Annabelle has yet, right? My little daughter Annabelle, when she acts like me, in the good ways. Because there are times when it's clearly me, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Break off that generational curse in Jesus' name. No. <laughs> Uh, but when she, when she behaves like me in a positive way, I mean, it, it's, so, it's such a blessing to my spirit. It's such a blessing to my soul. It's such a blessing. I just, it's exciting, right? It glorifies me. When we're meek, when we behave in meekness, we glorify God. And he has declared through the arrival of Jesus, through the arrival of himself in flesh, he has declared, this is who I am. I believe that God is calling His church, especially us as American believers, to greater meekness. That, that this Christmas we're to actually receive something, an endowment from Him internally to begin living this out. To let this Christmas celebration imbue us with humility and in so doing represent Him more truthfully and glorify him more fully. With that, let me just pray for you guys, and then we can go off and celebrate in our own ways. Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus, for the sacrifice you made, for giving of your Son. And Jesus, I'm so grateful for giving of yourself. Thank you that, that we get to celebrate your arrival in this earth which marked the turn of history. No more significant event than your, your birth, life, and death, and resurrection. No more significant event in all of human history. It was the hinge of history. It marked the, the transformation of, of, of our world and history forever. God, we honor you tonight. We honor you tomorrow. We honor you from every day here on out, from every day here forth, because you are worthy and you are the ultimate giver of life and love and sacrifice, and you do it so meekly. You do it in quietness. You do it in gentleness and tenderness. You're unassuming. You're yielding. You're trusting. You're so humble, God. Let it be us as well. Endow us, Lord, with this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas, you guys.